Welcome to the Damn Strong Podcast. I'm your host, Bree, and I'm a full-time online fitness coach, and my passion is to educate women on all things fitness. I help women just like you step into the power of knowledge and commitment to ultimately live your best and strongest life. In this podcast, we'll talk about being damn strong in our body, mind, and life. I'll be teaching you how to navigate nutrition, strength training, and mindset challenges. So get ready to take some notes because we're building a damn strong life. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I am Bree, and this is the Damn Strong Podcast. So today we're doing a Q&A. These are definitely one of my favorite types of podcast to film um, because I get to answer questions that you guys directly ask me. So last week I posted my stories, a little Q&A box, posted up and saying, hey, ask some podcast questions or ask some Q&A questions, uh, and I'll be filming a podcast episode answering them. So actually, my phone pulled up. I have the question pulled up. I'm going to attempt to make it through all the questions. I think, honestly, if I don't talk too long, uh, I'll be able to get through all of them. I don't want to sacrifice uh, quality of answering these questions, but um, I think I could definitely get through all of these. And yeah, so let's go ahead and get started. So the first one on here that's being asked, it says more gains if you have access to full gym, in parentheses, machines, et cetera, or can you get similar results with free weight slash barbells? So What's going to be the driver of results is how hard you're able to push yourself. So it's not that being in a gym, you're going to have more gains at home. It's that typically when people work out at home, they don't have enough weight to actually push themselves close to failure. So it depends, honestly, this answer. So the question was like more gains if you have access to a full gym versus working out at home with uh, free weights and barbells. No, you're not potentially going to get more gains at the gym. You could if you don't have a lot of weight, right? If your only weight at home is 5, 10, 25-pound dumbbells and you can squat 100 pounds, well, those 25-pound dumbbells aren't challenging you a ton in your squat. So it's not that you're going to get more from being at the gym, but most people don't have the equipment or enough poundage, per se, with their free weights to actually truly challenge themselves. So don't think necessarily like free weights versus machines. There, there is differences there that we could talk about. Um, but as far as gains, the biggest driver of you building muscle is going to be you pushing yourself really close to failure. If you can do that at home, awesome. And when I say failure, that doesn't mean when the burn comes on. Failure is pushing yourself to where you can't get another rep. And as long as we're getting close to that, right, maybe you stop one short of failure or two short of failure. As long as we're getting close to that, that's going to be the biggest driver of gains. So, um, analyze your home setup and that's where you're going to have to kind of go from there. So, okay. Next question. Can you explain what you're doing after a cut? How do you find your maintenance again? So I got a lot of questions on, actually, I think, the two or three more, so I'll skip over them, but basically just asking what I'm going to do after this cut. Like, how do I go back to maintenance? And I need to film a whole episode walking through all of that, but I will give the TD. T-D-L-R, T-L-D-R version, too long, didn't read version. So first of all, it says, can you explain what you do after a cut? After a cut, I'm going to go to my maintenance calories. I'm going to reverse diet. Don't overthink that word. It's just a fancy word from, I'm going to go from deficit calories back to maintenance calories. Um, so it says, how do you find your maintenance again? So let me first walk through what my plan to do is. So there's, from my knowledge, there's really two ways there's different ways you can approach a reverse diet, but there's two main ways that people approach it. 
Um, the first one and probably the one you hear about the most is the slow reverse diet. So when you're done with your deficit, you increase your calories by 50 to 100. And every week or every two weeks, you increase your calories by 50 to 100. So the second you go from, let's say your deficit is 1600 calories, you go to 1650 and you're still in a deficit, right? You're not as big as of a deficit, right? If you're at 1600 versus 1650, you're in more of a deficit at 1600, but you're still in a deficit. And so you slowly increase your calories. The second way you can do it is you can jump, you can guess at what your maintenance you think may be, jump close to there, right? Because it's a guess. So let's undershoot it a little bit. I would say jump like 80% of the way there. And then from there, you slowly increase your calories so you can kind of figure out, okay, where's my maintenance? I like taking the second approach. Uh, when it comes to being in a deficit, by the end of your deficit, you're tired of being in a deficit, whether that's you're not sleeping well, mental fatigue, psychological fatigue, physical fatigue, you're ready to be done with being in a deficit. And so with most of my clients, I want to get them out of a deficit as soon as possible as, and give them more calories so they can be feeling better as soon as possible. There are some occasions where I do walk people slowly up from a deficit, and we'll talk about that. But most of the time, if you're in a deficit, you're done with a deficit, let's, done be, let's be done being in a deficit. Let's jump you back about 80% of the way there. So if I think your you know, maintenance calories are 2,000, maybe we jump you up to 1,800 to 1,900, maybe even 1,750 to 1,850. See what that looks like. Let Obviously, you're going to gain weight, not body fat, weight from just simply increasing the amount of food in your body. Let that kind of level out and then slowly increase from there. The reason why slowly is because we're pretty close to your maintenance. So we're just going to kind of play around and give you some more calories till we find where your maintenance is. The time that I will give clients the walking up method or like the slow approach is clients who really, really, really fear the scale slash weight gain. Um, especially my clients that have lost like 50 plus pounds or eight, that's not even fair to say, like it could just be like 20 plus 30 plus when you have a pretty significant weight loss. Um, a lot of them have a fear of going back to that. And so I, even though I like the method of jumping you back and getting you feel better as soon as possible, I understand there's a psychological thing we have to work through. And so with those clients, I will walk them back slowly. So I'll be like, Hey, you know what? You're at 1600 calories. Let's jump you up to 1700. And they realize how much better they feel with more food. And they realize they look exactly the same. And they're only two pounds up because they have more food in their body and they get more comfortable with that. So I understand for some clients, it's easier for me just to do it the way that I prefer. And some, I understand that, you know, there's a mental blockage and there's things that you have to work through mentally and it's okay to take that approach. Um, but I also have clients who've only dropped five to 10 pounds. And again, maybe they've been in the state of their whole life of constantly trying to lose weight. And so any type of weight gain, even if it's from having more food in their body scares them. And so using that solo approach can be really, really helpful. So, um, oh yeah, this is how you find your maintenance again, just to get to that part. So when you actually find your maintenance, I think a lot of people think that finding your maintenance means that you'll weigh the exact same number all the time. And that's just not how it works. So let's say you weigh, um, you find your maintenance calories, you weigh 150 pounds. Well, you're going to drop half a pound one week and gain one, half a pound one week and then drop 0.8 and then gain 0.2 and then, you know, drop 0.1 and then gain 0.9. It's going to be, if you're looking at me right now on video, it's going to go up and down. But if you see, as I'm moving, I hit my hand across the video. If I was to draw a trend line, it goes straight across. And so maintenance is where you look back. Let's say you look three, four weeks of, of average weigh-ins and you net all of the ups and downs and you're right around at 0.0. You might be 0.1 or negative 0.1 or maybe 0.2. 
Um, and so that's when you can know, okay, I'm, I'm roughly hitting my maintenance. So I think a lot of people think when they go back to maintenance, they're just going to automatically weigh this certain amount forever and ever. And they're going to weigh in at 150 every single day. No, you're going to go up and down because you're going to eat ramen one night and then you're not going to eat ramen. You're going to have more sodium and then you're not going to have sodium and you're going to work out really hard and then rest really well one day. And so you're going to have normal fluctuations at maintenance. It's the same thing as a deficit and a surplus. It's always about the trend line, right? Like the overtime. So there's always going to be fluctuations. Okay. Next one. Um, okay. What do you think is the overall top reason people choose coaching with you? This is a sweet question. And I, I love thinking about this one. I think I, if I go back just like to the basics, I think the end, the biggest reason that anyone chooses a coach is for kind of two reasons. One, they're super relatable. They relate to something about your story or two, they see something and they want that as well. Um, so for example, personally for me in the past, when I have hired a coach, um, I saw something I really wanted. So when I've hired coaches in the past, it's because I have a desire to learn more. And so when I see coaches, I'm like, oh my gosh, they know this, they know that I want to learn more. I have this desire to have what they have, which is a knowledge. Um, I think with other clients who've come to me, it's, you know, maybe they, uh, see like, wow, she's able to, you know, eat carbs and lose body fat. I want to do that. And so they see something that you're doing that they want as an aspect part of their life. I think the other side is being relatable. You know, I try to be really honest with my struggles and really honest that I, yes, I'm a coach, but I'm also a human being like anyone else. And so there are things I struggle with. There are things that I go through. And so people relate. They're like, wow, okay. I'm five foot seven and 140 something pounds and her weight loss is really inspiring or, oh my gosh, she's, you know, I count macros and calories as well. And she's doing that as well. And I've seen her results and I'm not getting results like that. Like I relate because I do the same process that she does. And then I also have a desire because I want to see progress like she is. So I think it's relatability, just listening to a person and, and it could be how I talk. That's what I think is such a great thing about the podcast is you guys get to hear more of my personality and my thought process and outlook on life. And some of you really, really relate to how I outlook on life. But I think some of you also hear me are like, oh my gosh, I love that perspective that she has. I never thought about it that way. So I think the biggest reason just for any coach in general is relatability and you have, and it's not like a jealousy thing. I just, this is the only way I know how to word it is you have something about what you're doing that they want, whether, and that could be your clients. Maybe you show off your clients. You're like, wow, this client, I, I always go to the eating carb thing. Cause I feel like a lot of women come to me because I share that I enjoy cookies. I enjoy pizza. Uh, and I'm still in a fat loss phase. And so I think a lot of women want that. They want that food freedom. And so it could be showing through your own clients and what you do with them, or it could be you personally. But if there's any coaches listening, I think a lot of time, a lot of the times um, when coaches have reached out to me and asked me like, how'd you go to your page? How'd you become an online coach? I know it sounds so cheesy, but just like being yourself and sharing things about yourself and, and being kind of an open book. You have to share everything. There's plenty of things you guys don't know that goes along, uh, goes down in my life. Um, but I'm very open and honest. I post myself. I don't, I don't say, yeah, I pretty much don't really filter like myself in a way, obviously, like I try to say things kindly and nicely, but that's how I would say it in, in life in general. Um, but yeah, just being yourself and, and you attract those type of people. It's no secret. Like when I look at my clients, it makes sense. Not like 90% of my clients have a very similar journey to mine. Not all of them do. And there's different ways that we relate. Right. But 90% of my clients have similar journeys or we relate in some really big way. That's 
um, in, intric, intricate, integral to my story. I don't know, but, but you hear what I'm saying. So, okay. Someone gave me a little compliment. Someone said, why are you so flame emoji? I appreciate that. I said, I was going to read all of these. So I just had to uh, say thank you for the compliment. Okay, next one. How do I know what the bar weighs at the gym so I can get an accurate account of what I'm lifting? So I'm gonna answer this question in two parts. First answer, how would you know you would look on the bar? So typically when you are when you have a barbell, if you go to the end of the barbell, like the so big long barbell, go to the end of it, usually the weight will be listed on that barbell. Typically they are 45 pounds. I don't know if that is in kg. I think that's like 25 something kg. Um, but typically it's listed on the end of it. Occasionally they will have a woman's barbell that's 35 pounds. You can very easily tell when it's a woman's barbell because it's shorter than the 45 ones. And the reason it's called a woman's is because in powerlifting, you know, our hands are naturally smaller than men. And so to have really good grip strength, sometimes having the smaller bar is more helpful than 35 pound bar because the overall diameter of the barbell is smaller. So it's easier to grip. So it's not called a women's bar necessarily to be like sexist or anything. It's just normally women are naturally women are smaller. And so it can be easier for smaller women to grip that bar. So most of the time a barbell is 45 pounds. Um, occasionally there's a 35 pound bar. Again, it'll be much shorter than the 45. So you'll be able to tell the difference, but let's talk about other things as well. Let's talk about like the Smith machine. Smith machine is usually like 25 pounds. Um, a leg press is like anywhere from 75 to 110 pounds. Uh, it varies. And so this gets into my second point. It doesn't super matter. Okay. So if you don't know, if you get to the end of your barbell and it doesn't say 45 pounds on it, obviously you can just assume it's 45 pounds, but like, let's just talk about the leg press at my current gym. Now, I don't know how much my leg press weighs like the actual, just blank leg press. I guess it's a hundred pounds, but I truly don't know. And so I log my weights probably differently than other people do. Um, because I don't know the weight of what's on the leg press, I just log the weight that the, the plates that I actually put on the leg press. I don't even worry about logging the actual platform. If I put, you know, a 45 and a 45 on there, I just track 90 pounds. I make it that simple for myself because it's not what you're tracking on your workout program that builds muscle. It's you pushing yourself. And if you can look back at your logs and know, Hey, I don't track the sled part of the leg press. I just track the, the plates. You can say, okay, cool. I did two 45s on each side. Now let me try and do two 45s with a two and a half on each side. So the only reason, the only reason, actually maybe there's two, but the only reason we track our weights in general is so we can look back at the weight and know what we did last week so we can push a little harder for the next week. That's the only reason. I mean, the other reason is maybe some bragging rights and be like, I flooded a hundred pounds and you can know that maybe. Um, but the most important reason is the only reason we track our weights is so that we look at it and move forward. So what matters is that you're able to look back at your logs and say, okay, this is how much weight I did. So pretty much the only exercise that I track the actual bar is like, Barbell squats, barbell RDLs, like true barbell. If it's a Smith machine, I don't track the Smith machine barbell. If it's a leg press, I don't track the leg press sled. Hack squat, I don't track. Actually, I take that back. I think I do for hack squat just because it the machine actually tells me how much it weighs. But if the machine does not tell me how much it weighs in my routine, I don't track that, that part, the barbell or whatever. I just track to be like, okay, I don't know what the sled weighs. Because then I'm going to have to remember, let's say like, I, I, so I don't, I don't know what my leg press weighs. 
So I'm gonna have to make up a number, remember that makeup number, and then do the math every single week. So let's say I say it weighs 45 pounds, the sled weighs 45 pounds, and I put a 45 on each side. That's 135, right? Now I have to remember every week that I am logging the sled as 45 pounds. And so then I have to do the math and be like, okay, I, I lifted 135. Okay, that means, well, the, I'm tracking the sled as 45 from my memory, and so that's gonna be 245 on each side. I just wanna make it easier for myself and be like, look, I don't know what it weighs. I'm just going to track the weights that I put on there. So, and it not, I'm, I make it sound like it's really hard. It's probably not the hardest thing for you to remember, like what the leg press weighs and what your Smith machine weighs in your brain. But I just try to make things as easy as possible for myself. So I hope that answers your question a little bit. Um, okay, cool. This one wasn't a question, but a request. I'd love for you to interview Paige and share her depth, uh, in-depth fat loss journey. That is definitely in the plan. I've already asked her to be on the pod. Um, she's actually in town in a few weeks. However, I don't know if it would work well for us to film it together in person or if it does better over a computer. I'm going to have to figure that out. So, um, okay. How do you know your cut maintenance and bulk calories? You, well, again, probably as always two parts to kind of this question. So the first one is go online, use an online calculator, uh, go to T D E E calculator.net. So that's Tom dog, elephant, elephant, calculator.net. Put in your information. It's going to give you a ballpark. You also could hire a coach where they could give you an estimate as well. I think what's good to know is that no matter what, it's always going to be an estimate until you test out the numbers. A calculator and a coach do not know your numbers. I don't know truly what my client's numbers are. I take a very educated guess based off my experience. And do I have more knowledge than the calculator does? Yes, I get much more information from my clients when I set their calories, but it's still a guess at the end of the day. So I make an educated guess based on all the information that they give me, their height, their weight, all that kind of stuff. So the best thing to do is if you don't have a coach, go to tdeecalculator.net, put in your information, get the calories from the website, and then test it and be consistent for at least two weeks hundred percent. And then once you're consistent, you can see which way the scale is going and measure, well, measurements more so a month out, but see which way the scale is going and make changes off that, whether you're a cut maintenance or, um, in a bulk. Okay. Next one. How, to, oh yeah, this was a maintenance one. So how to transition from calorie deficit to maintenance. This is a two part question. Let me reread that. How to do the transition from calorie deficit to maintenance, like the better way to do it for people who are scared to gain fat when they are, when they stop tracking. The transition from calorie deficit to maintenance, I would track your calories. And then once you have found your maintenance, then I would transition into not tracking. Um, I think it's really important for you to see what maintenance calories looks like, how you feel, how satiated you are, how full you get, what your weekends look like, how your sleep is, all of that. I think it'd be good to have the numbers. Once you find your maintenance and you sit there for a little bit and you feel what that feels like, then a way to transition. I know you didn't ask this question, but... Now you have the transition. Okay, you've gone from deficit to maintenance. Now you're going from maintenance tracking to maintenance not tracking. My first recommendation is just to start taking a few days off. I always recommend taking off one weekday and one weekend. I think automatically people just want to take off the weekends, which I don't think is a bad thing. But what I find is when people are like, okay, I'm only tracking during the week and not in the weekends, they tend to go a little, not always, not always, but a little like, oh my gosh, I finally have to track on the weekends. I can eat everything I want to eat. And so it's like, mm, okay, let's still keep one weekend day and do one weekday. And then you can move that around. It could be you track one weekday, one weekend for two, three weeks. 
maybe even a week if you want. And then you go, okay, I'm going to let up on one more weekday. You do, you don't track for two weekdays in one weekend. And then you're like, okay, it's officially time for me to let up on my weekends. I'm not going to track on Saturday and Sunday, but I'm still going to track. I'm not going to track on Wednesday and Thursday. And so you slowly wean yourself off of tracking um, is how I would have you transition to not tracking from deficit to maintenance, maintenance tracking to then maintenance not tracking. Um, so I hope that's helpful. Okay. Uh, next one. What is close enough when it comes to calories, protein, fiber goals, perfectionists here? This is, this is a hard one to answer because what's close enough is kind of your own definition. Um, you know, it's, let, let's think it's about saving money. If your goal is to save $70 a week, right? That's $10 a day. If you only save $60 that week, is that okay? Like, is that close enough? I think it is personally, like the way I want to view that is like, yeah, you know, you may not save $70 because you had an unexpected expense come up, but you still save 60. We're still on our way, moving towards our goal to save $70 every single week. So that's great. So the farther away that you get, the less close enough, I guess, potentially it becomes. And so what I try to typically tell my clients of like how to look at their numbers is like calorie, and it depends where you're at, right? If you're in a deficit, I usually give my, my clients a range. So if they, ha they all have 16 to 1700, 17 to 18, 15 to 16, I give them a range and they just need to be in that range, land somewhere in that range. So if you're a perfectionist, it might be really nice to have a range for yourself. So you'll feel less perfectionist-est. That could be an option. And then you said protein. I would say if you can land within like five grams on either end, like five to 10, I, I usually push more towards five. But you have to remember this too. Let's say your gram is to hit 100 grams or your gram. Let's say your, your goal is to hit 100 grams of protein. If you hit 94 grams, it's not like all of a sudden all your muscle shrivels up into raisins, right? There's not like this threshold where it's like, okay, you have to hit 100 grams. If you don't, you will get no benefit from protein. Like if you hit 99 grams, zero benefit from protein. You just poop it all out. Like that's not what happens. Your body still benefits from it. So the closer you can get to an optimal range, it just becomes more optimal. So I would say for like protein goal, like try to be within a five gram range, like five plus or minus. That might be nice. I think honestly, as I'm talking, adding ranges would be really helpful and you probably weren't sure how to set them, but I would say, you know, about a five gram range from your protein goal, I think is a really, really great, um, thing to be in. But I also think it's good to recognize too. Like, let's just say there's one day where you have like brunch with a friend baby shower, and then dinner with your parents. And you're like, okay, I can either hit my calories or hit my protein. You know, depending on what your goal is, you know, if you're in a surplus, you might be like, well, I'll just go over my, I'll just eat more calories and hit my protein, not a big deal. If you're in a deficit, I'd be like, you know what? What, what helps me is what I do consistently. If I have one day where I hit my calories on target and I don't hit my protein goal, it's not the end of the world. We are what we do consistently. So Hopefully a little bit of that talk through helps to talk you down. Um, but I think implementing ranges is really helpful. Oh, you talked about fiber. I forgot about that too. Um, fiber again, I do like within a five gram goal. Like if your if your goal is 30 grams, I would try to get within like a 25 to 30. But again, it's not the end of the world if you hit 24 grams. Um, and if you struggle to hit in that range, I look back and say, okay, how can I make this easier for myself? But also don't get so upset if you have one day where you don't hit your fiber and your protein goal like you want to, because maybe you have some social event or maybe you're really, really busy. You didn't plan well. Got to give yourself a little bit of grace. Remember it's consistency that wins out every time. Um, okay. 
Someone just said thoughts on beach body type program. So with thoughts on, I don't know exactly what you mean. Like thoughts on it for building muscle, thoughts on it for health, you know, what you're specifying. But when I read this question, how I automatically want to answer it is, I think it's great. I think beach body gets people active. Um, and that's what I care about overall. I know I very much preach muscle building and lifting heavy weights, and that's what I want people to do. But if you go from doing nothing to beach body, having you be consistent and doing something awesome, I am so, so happy for you. Do Pilates, do yoga, do something that you enjoy that gets you moving. And once you're consistent with being active, maybe then be like, okay, I'm being consistent with being active for my health, but now I have actual specific goals, whether that's cardio goals, whether that's muscle building goals. And then you might have to, to go down from there. I have never done a beach body program specifically. I've talked through my clients with them. Um, but I think for the most part, they're probably not the most optimal way to build muscle. But again, if you're going from nothing to something, you're going to build some muscle, but there's going to come a point where, you know, kind of like I talked on the first question, if you're at home with five pound dumbbells, you're eventually going to need heavier weight and you're going to have to invest in an at-home gym and, and constantly buy more weight to make it challenging, or you're going to have to go to the gym. Um, so I don't think beach body is a forever thing. If like building serious muscle is your goal, but if it gets you active, I love that for you. I really, really, really do. Um, actually I, I'll, there's one thing I'll mention. I won't say her name, but I have a client who just, uh, is starting next week and we got on a, a call together, just going over application and she used to be into weightlifting and she had, you know, it's just something really, um, you know, just really upsetting happened in her family. And so she took time away from that and wasn't training or anything. And, you know, everything's okay now. Family's all good and all that. But she was like, I really need a way to get back to being active. So she, it's kind of like a class pass. I don't think it's exactly like class pass, but class pass is where you can like buy, you know, things to do different classes. And so she basically does, I think like a spin class and like other different things. And she recognized she used to weightlift and that she wants to weightlift in the future, but she came out of a really dark place and she just needs something to get her active and something to enjoy. And she loves what she's doing right now. She loves it. She finds it so much fun. It keeps her consistent. I was like, awesome. Let's keep doing that. Let's work on your nutrition. And I want you to keep doing that because you're enjoying it and it's getting you active. And maybe in your future, you'll get back into weightlifting, but like, let's ride this wave. So hope, hope all that insight helps there. Um, okay. Now that you're on a cut, will you, uh, two parts of this. Okay. Now that you are on a cut, you will fit into smaller size. Are you not afraid that when you come out of a deficit, you will gain some fat and you may not fit into those clothes again? Um, no, I'm not afraid. If you're asking specifically if I'm afraid, I'm not going to. When I come out of a deficit, my goal is to go to maintenance. And so it's to maintain the size that I am. So if I come out of a deficit, go to maintenance, there will be no fat gain. I will maintain the size that I am and I will still fit into my clothes. What I also need to recognize is the size that I am now may not be my best life. So this is something that people have asked me a few times over the course of my cut is how do I know what I'm doing is going to be maintainable? How do I know what I'm doing is going to be something I can do long-term? I don't know. Like I am getting leaner and leaner and leaner, which is cool and awesome and fun to see. But like I may get down to a leanness that my body's not very happy with. And so I may have stronger hunger cues that come on because my body wants to be, you know, three pounds heavier, right? So I may end my cut at an average of 135. And my body's like, Brie, you know what? We're really comfortable at 140. We're going to push 
you to eat a little bit more. We're going to increase your hunger cues a little bit more. Um, so again, if I wasn't tracking, if I'm tracking, obviously I'd be at maintenance. But if I wasn't tracking, I may naturally gain weight, hit 140. My body's like, oh, yes, this amount of body fat feels great. We're staying here. So that is possible. Um, and I haven't bought any, all the clothes that I, no, that's not true. Majority of my, that's not even true. 50% of my clothes in my deficit or in my bulk still fit me. So I still have clothes that fit me. Even if I was to gain the full 15-ish pounds back, that's not my plan. But if I, let's just say I went to another bulk right after this, I went from deficit right into a bulk. I have clothes that will fit me. Um, and then I have clothes that eventually I won't fit into. So I can recognize that one, if I continue to track at maintenance, like I won't, I will stay the same size. If I eventually, I would love to just not track at maintenance and just kind of live my life and we'll see how that plays out. So I'll still practice healthy habits. I will, you know, stop when I'm full, focus on protein, um, all of those like healthy habits. And maybe I'll gain a few extra pounds of fat. Cool. Like that's where my body's happier at. And I still am, am able body and can move really well and, and can enjoy my life. Awesome. Like I have clothes that fit me for 15 pounds heavier. Um, so I'm not afraid. Um, but yeah, I, I, I didn't get to a place in my bulk where I didn't fit into any of my clothes. Were some of them tight for sure? Were there some I actually had to put away because they didn't fit at all? Totally. But let's just say I gained 20 pounds. I don't think that's going to happen. I would like, like sustain somewhat of the, the body fat that I've lost, but like I would just buy new clothes. Like as much as that sucks financially, like what matters more to me is feeling good in my clothes, not squeezing into a size four or six or 27 or whatever size that it is. What I matter is feeling good in my own clothes. So um, I don't think I have that worry just because I will be tracking at maintenance. And then when I do decide to not track at maintenance, the last time I wasn't tracking at maintenance, I sat at 140 for pretty much like four months straight. Like I just averaged 140 month after month after month after month. And so my body, I recognize my body could be happier there. So I could gain five pounds, but I would still fit into my clothes if that makes sense. So, um, okay. Uh, tips to change mindset about using food slash alcohol as a reward for a long day or are working hard. So there's multiple parts of how I want to talk about this. Alcohol, I think is a hard uh, topic to talk about because it's like, okay, why are you running to out? Why do you feel like you need to use alcohol to, as a crutch for, I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. Um, like, is alcohol a crutch? Are you coming home and just getting blasted with five beers? You know what I mean? Like, okay, probably have an alcohol issue. Let's talk about that. But if you're coming home and like, you just enjoy a glass of wine, I don't think it's actually the end of the world to come home and enjoy a glass of wine and that de-stress you a little bit. Now, is, uh, there's a whole other part of talking about alcohol is not good for you at all in any dosage. Like, it's not, it's toxic, it's poison at the end of the day. So <clears throat> there's so many ways I could talk about alcohol. But I think if I was even back up a little bit more, I think we put so much weight on, you know, you shouldn't use food to cope with stress or cope with sad moments or whatever. And I agree with that. I do think we should have different coping me mechanisms than food, right? A lot of people with trauma and things like that use food to make them feel better because you get this, you get the short burst of dopamine. It feels good in the moment and long-term potentially with how you treat food doesn't feel good. But it's okay to enjoy food. It's okay to come home after a long day and be like, oh, I can't wait for my dessert tonight. And that to be enjoyable. So I think there's multiple parts to this. I think it, it's 
more so about your relationship with food. I think if you're after a long day, you're just like gorging yourself on food to make yourself feel better. And you're getting just like blasted. I don't know why blast is the word I'm choosing, but just blasted off alcohol. Okay. There's probably need to go to therapy, binge therapist, um, AA for alcohol, that kind of stuff. But if it's, if it's you're coming home and you make yourself pasta with some chicken and some marinara and you're like, oh, this just feels so good after such a long, hard day. I don't see anything wrong with that. I think it's okay. To be 100% honest, when I was in my bulk, Sage, so Wednesdays are my check-in days with my clients. I'm on calls pretty much all day. I'm doing video check-ins. It's my longest day. And it's one of my favorite days, but it's also emotionally a lot because you're getting on calls, helping people with their emotions and navigating them. And so at the end of the day, it's it's just mentally, it's a long day mentally. And so on Wednesdays in my bulk, every Wednesday was Chick-fil-A day because we both had really, really long days, especially me and Wednesdays. And so it was just nice to like, on the way home, he picked up Chick-fil-A. It was really easy. We didn't have to make anything for dinner. We enjoyed Chick-fil-A. We'd watch a show and we'd go to bed. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And it fit within my goals. I hit my protein, all that kind of stuff. So I don't think it's so bad to enjoy food. There's obviously like a spectrum on where this runs. Um, and now, you know, we've moved to a different part of Dallas and there's a ton of Asian food around. And so on my cut, not every Wednesday, but a lot of Wednesdays, we've been trying a new sushi place because sushi can easily work within my calories. So we still made Wednesdays kind of this fun thing. So I don't think there's anything wrong with food being a, you said reward specifically. Maybe the better way to reframe this is there's nothing wrong with food making you feel good after you haven't felt good all day and it's satisfying you and being enjoyable. Um, but again, there's a range. This is I don't have more details. It's like if you're on the binging and alcohol issue range, ther- binge therapist, AA, all that kind of stuff. Um, but if you're on this other range, it might be changing your mindset of how you view of it. Yes, if you're coming home and just like, I don't care about anything. I don't care about my goals. Like I'm just going to stuff my face. Okay, we need, to t- we need to back up a little bit. And yes, let's find other ways, like other ways to de-stress journaling. I know how stupid that may sound. I feel like a lot of people think journaling is so woohoo, but for me, putting pen to paper and writing things is very, very therapeutic for myself. I feel like I can get it out. I love, love journaling, going for a walk or in the moment, if you feel like you're wanting to just binge on food, take a second, recognize that and say, Hey, I'm going to go for a five, 10 minute walk. And I'm going to come back and see how I feel. Give yourself time to process. Also recognize it could be because you were, um, you know, because you had such a long day, you're starving because you haven't eaten hardly all day. So recognize like, hey, I'm really, really hungry, but I don't need to gorge myself. I'm going to make myself a dinner. I'm going to eat it slowly. I'm going to chew my food. I'm going to drink a glass of water. And then after I eat, I'm going to take a five, 10 minute walk, see how I feel, and then assess with how much more food I want to have then. So I think there's multiple ways to talk about this. So I hope that helps. I realize I'm saying I hope that helps after every single one. So if it isn't apparent, I really hope all these answers help you guys. Um, Okay. She actually asked two questions. One asked the last one. She said, tips to resist temptation when spouse eats foods around you that doesn't fit your goals. This can be difficult. Um, Yeah. Just because it's like when it's out of sight, out of mind, it's easier. But when it's it's in front of you and you're just like, I really want some. You said it doesn't fit your goals. Um, My first thought is, can we find a way to make that fit your goals? Like, for example, if you know, your spouse is having bluebell ice cream every single night. Why don't we like make, do like a Ninja creamy, right? Like you can make a, 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 if your spouse is eating Oreo cookies and cream 
ice cream every night, get yourself, again, if it's in your budget, get yourself, buy yourself a Ninja Creamy and start making an Oreo cookies and cream Ninja Creamy. Or for example, um, another one that I thought of, I literally, this is the example I thought of when you first said this question, because I've had the same situation with Sage. We make like Chipotle bowls and we're at maintenance, we'll have Chipotle bowls and a bowl of queso. And so when I've been in a deficit, he's been having the bowl of quesos to himself. I'll have like a couple chips and a couple scoops of queso just to enjoy that and say, okay, you know what? I've had my couple scoops. I've enjoyed it. Now I'm going to move on and I'm going to enjoy my Chipotle bowl or I'll eat my Chipotle bowl first. So I'm full and I don't have this, you know, super crazy hunger drive. And then I'll say, Hey, will you save me a couple scoops? He saved me. He saves me a couple scoops. I scoop a couple chips with the queso. And then I say, yum, that was delicious. And I go have my dessert that I had planned for myself. So my first advice is to be, is there any way we can make that work even through a different version? Um, second, is there a small way that you can enjoy it with them? Third, it's potential that you could ask your spouse saying, Hey, that one thing that you, I, I I'm assuming that maybe everything they're having isn't a super temptation. I don't know. Um, but maybe there's like one or two things you're saying, Hey, you know, during this timeline, my deficit, is there any way you can just like eat that not around me? Or could we just not, can you not have that for a time being? They may be like, yeah, that's totally fine. I mean like, well, I really enjoy this. And so, okay, you know what, if you're going to have chips and queso, do you mind taking that to work and enjoying that at work versus at home without knowing too much more of your dynamic? I think it's hard to recommend, but I think the biggest plus or thing to make it work, um, is to find your own alternative because Sage not, so Sage was still in a bulk when I first started my deficit. And so I just had my own alternatives. He would enjoy, you know, I'm trying to think he's not a big dessert person, but I'm trying to think of like other examples, but like for breakfast, he would have like three pancakes and four eggs and all this bacon and, and all these things and a glass of chocolate milk. And it's like, okay, I can still have eggs and bacon. It's just gonna be a smaller amount. And I'm also gonna have the Kodiak protein pancake or protein pancakes, protein waffles. And so I found my own like cut version of what he was eating. So I hope that's helpful. Um, okay. Someone said, advice if one muscle group, like your left arm is stronger than your right. How do we fix or correct or is rest needed? I think the first thing to, well, to answer the question, you could add an extra set to the weaker side. So let's say um, your left arm's weaker than your right arm. You do three sets on your right arm. You could do four sets on your um, left arm. You could do extra sets. You could actually lower the sets on your uh, stronger arm. So you could do three sets on your left arm and only do two on your right. So your right kind of just maintains while your left is catching up. Um, the other thing to recognize with this is, and so essentially with both those methods, you're adding volume, uh, you're, you're taking away volume from the stronger side. So it just maintains, or you're adding volume to the weaker side to potentially help build it up more. It's also important to remember that you will always be stronger on one side than the other. There is always going to be a gap. You have one boob that's bigger than the other. You have one eyebrow that's higher than the other. You have a tooth that sits in a different spot. You know, like you, life is not symmetrical at all. So just remember, like you're always going to have, and especially with like hand or especially with like your, what are these things called? Extremities or whatever, your, your arms and your legs, you're going to have a stronger side, especially if you're, you know, you're left or right-handed, you're going to be dominant on one side. And so I think recognize one, like if it's a really, really large gap and it really bothers you, sure, take one of those two methods. Um, if it's only like a couple reps or so, I just wouldn't worry about it. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, you're always going to be stronger on one side than the other. So, uh, okay. 
Training splits. If doing four times per week, is it best to hit each muscle group twice? Um, i.e. two fulls. Oh, I'm trying to make sure I read this. Two full upper and two full or and two full on a lower. Or can you do splits like back slash biceps, lower try, lower, more volume on days for specific groups versus hit two times? Okay. This is a, <coughs> a three-part question and a long one. So basically this person is, my understanding is trying to say like, what's the best training split? Like, should you be hitting muscles two times a week? Should you be doing, uh, you know, full, full lower or full, full upper? Uh, should you be doing back and buys, chest and tries, kind of a typical bro split? Like, what's the best? First thing I recognize, the most important thing is your overall volume at the end of the day. So whether you're doing three fulls or an upper lower full, or, you know, maybe you do upper, lower, upper, lower, what matters is your total volume across the week, how you split it up. There's, there's so many ways to dive into this, but how you split up more so just depends on what you can do. So if you're someone that can only commit to working out three times a week, then I typically like full upper lower. And the reason I only like doing one full is because I feel like full days are very taxing. Like they're very, very tiring. Um, and so if I can limit that, that way I can get as enough volume that I need with most clients I do a full upper lower. I do have some clients that prefer three fulls. And so I will program them three fulls, but my preference is to do a full upper lower. If you're only three days, if you're four days, we do full, we do upper, lower, upper, lower. Again, how you split that up is totally fine. Whether you want to do a bro split of back and buys, chest and tries, glutes, hands, quads, that's fine. Or you can do a mix. I like to do a mix of upper and lower. I just find that more enjoyable. Um, and yes, we do see a benefit to hitting things more so twice a week. So if you're someone that, that you know, is only having a chest day and then a back day and then a glute day and then a hamstring day, you could benefit from one, you're going to have to be working out so many freaking days. Two, we could see a benefit from you actually hitting the muscle twice a week. Again, overall volume is what matters the most, but that you can have an edge from hitting it twice a week. So I think if you just approach it like a four day split, like upper, lower, upper, lower, and you just allow it to mix. Don't be super worried on like, I can only do back or I can only do, you know, chest. Like I can't do any other exercises. I think you should allow it to mix and don't overthink that. That'll probably be your best bet. And then for three days a week, I would do, I would err on the side of full upper lower just because I think full days are so taxing and it's a lot on you and recovery is important. Uh, but if you're someone that you're like, I don't really care too much about upper body and I really just want to focus on my lower body, you could just do one lower body day and then do, I'm sorry, one upper body day and then two lower body days. But again, that's adjusting volume. So the, what matters overall is, is the volume at the end of the day. So a little, it's a great question, but just you're picking up, you're stepping over dollars to pick up pennies. Like let's look at the dollars and let's focus on training volume and then how you split it up go for it. What matters is total training volume. So, um, okay. Someone just commented, said a coach's episode. So it wasn't quite a question. Um, we tech, I technically do have a coach's episode. I don't remember what number it is. I literally think it's called the coach's episode. So I would scroll down and look for the coach's episode. Um, if there's certain specific topics about coaching, you want me to dive into, that would be awesome. So if you're the person that submitted this question and you're listening, send me like a list of questions and I would love to like do another coach's episode and Talk about all that stuff. Uh, okay, last question, which is actually towards the maintenance question. It says, how do you personally approach maintenance? Do you transition to intuitive eating? Um, I'm just gonna answer the last part of this because I feel like I kind of talked about me transitioning to not tracking, which I guess you could technically call intuitive eating. 
yeah, eventually, I, I, you know, I, I enjoy tracking and tracking doesn't bother me. You know, I feel like a lot of coaches are like, the goal is to not have you tracking forever. And I agree with that. For a majority of my clients, I don't want you tracking forever. I want us to lose the weight, build muscle, and then you build habits where you can mostly maintain your weight. Um, but for me, like I track everything else in my life. I have a three different spreadsheets for my finance. Actually, yeah, three different spreadsheets for my finances because I track my business finances, I track my personal, and I have like a really easy, simple sheet that I look at. Um, I have like not a spreadsheet, but I have like a spreadsheet for like house stuff that we're wanting to like redo and and have done and tracking expenses of what that will look like and things that'll cost for that. So it's like I just enjoy tracking. I enjoy numbers. I enjoy data. And so tracking for me isn't terrible. I would probably I don't mind doing it. It doesn't cause a ton of like issues to my life. However, there are definitely times I've taken large amounts of time and have not tracked and I've really enjoyed that. So yes, I think my goal is to, honestly, I think that, you know, people have asked me, I know that one asked this question in the Q and A, but I feel like it was a good time to kind of chat on it. I have been asked by a couple of people, like what, what's, what's the plan after this? Like, okay, you're going to finish your cut. Now what? And I'm kind of like, I think I'm just going to chill. People are like, you're going to the next bulk. Like you're doing this. I'm like, I think I just want to chill for a year. Like I have over the last 10, I've been in my fitness journey per se for 10 years and it hasn't been perfect. I have probably the first five years of my journey. I battled so many mindset things. I worked through mindset stuff. And then after I worked through, I mean, I'm still working on mindset stuff, but then after I worked on a lot of mindset stuff and finally like got my shit together and was really consistent with my training, with my food, it took time to build muscle, to do bulks and then cuts and then just maintain for a little bit and bulks and then track all the time. And so I feel like my goal is like, dude, I just want a year. Like, I, and I, I will track for a period of this, but I feel like I just want a year where I eat at maintenance. I enjoy my life at maintenance. I potentially don't track. And all I focus on is just getting stronger in the gym, feeling good, and maybe actually pursue some other fitness goals like running. I have had the thought of doing a half marathon in my brain for a really long time. I've, I've talked on the podcast, I've thought about doing powerlifting and I'm like, you know, what? maybe this would be a fun transition. And this isn't to say that in the last 10 years, I haven't done this. There, the, Literally last year before my bulk, I didn't track for like all of summer and I was just at maintenance and I maintained 140 the whole time. That was a great time. And so I just feel like I just don't want to think about the next year. Like, I guess I technically am by talking about this. I just want to eat food, hit protein, maintain my weight the best that I can be really, really strong. And like, we have so much travel coming up next week, next week, next year. Um, a lot of events going on next year that I'm like, look, you know what? I just want to focus on like just being my healthy self. Um, so I know no one asked for that, but thought that might be helpful and maybe inspiring to a little, a little to a few of you, um, that maybe in that same situation. So, but that was the last question. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I thought you found it helpful. Um, as always, screenshot, leave a five-star review, post on your stories, tag me in it so I can share. And then if you have any feedback, please shoot me a damn. It always helps for the episodes. Um, and I appreciate y'all. So I will see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening to another episode of the damn strong podcast. Show me some love by leaving a review and sharing a screenshot of this episode on your Instagram stories until next time. Stay strong.